1: Our scripture passage for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake, while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came, and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning, he came to his disciples walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! They were so frightened, they screamed. Just then Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged, it's me. Don't be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? When they got into the boat, the wind settled down. Then those in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, You must be God's son. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our spiritual journey will take us many places. At times, it will transcend your imagination. Other times, you will feel like you made a wrong turn. What do we do during those times of doubt, those times of disbelief? What do we do when faith falters?
0: One of the advantages of doing ministry in a sort of digital context, like we're living in today, is now you can track how many views, or likes, or listens, or downloads. And as a pastor, sometimes this is really important information because it helps you know what kind of topics are really resonating with our people. What kind of sermons are really speaking to their everyday life and what it is that they're going through. And do you want to guess what the most popular, the most listened to sermon of 2019 was? It was on Doubt. It was the very first sermon, in fact, I ever gave on the topic of doubt. It was the first time in a sermon I actually shared about my own encounters with doubt and how even as a pastor, it is normal, I would argue, even healthy to go through moments and periods whereby you question what it is that you believe And so I got to thinking for weeks after that, I remember just thinking, why? Like, why was that sermon, like, I don't know, I feel like I put some other good ones out there that year. Like, why was that the one that everyone seemed to be gravitating toward? And the best reasons I could come up with were twofold. Number one, I think this is something that everybody experiences. I think no matter how faithful you think you are, no matter how strong or rooted or grounded you feel like your faith is, it is inevitable that you will go through seasons whereby you'll question and wrestle with what you were taught to believe. And number two, I think the other reason why this is such a popular sermon was because, sadly, so few churches are willing to talk about it. So few churches are willing to make space for not just the possibility, but the likelihood you will go through doubt at some point in your journey with Jesus. Which, in many regards, is sad it's sad, because when I think about my own experience, and I think about my own life, and I think about the own, my own journey that I've taken to get where I am today, it is definitely by far the seasons of faith the, where I've struggled, where I've questioned, where I've had to really lean in and dig deep. Those have been the seasons where I've grown the most, matured the most. They've been the seasons that have changed me the most. And so... Building off of that reality and leaning into that reality today, this Lenten season that we're moving into starting this uh, week, uh, is a new series that we're starting here at the peak called When Faith Falters. Over the course of these next several weeks, we're going to explore all different types of doubt, all different sort of episodes and uh, sort of versions of spiritual doubt that you will encounter at one point in your spiritual journey. And we're not going to make these up. Uh, We're not going to sort of uh, pick examples out of thin air. We're going to use examples from Scripture. We're going to point to actually episodes and characters and moments in the Bible where these folks questioned and wrestled. These are our spiritual heroes, the people who are supposed to have it all together, the people who most closely followed uh, next to Jesus. Even they encountered doubt at one point or another. Take, for example, the the particular character, the particular person we're going to dive into today, Jesus' right-hand man, the disciple, the apostle, Mr. Peter. Let's jump in. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to follow along today, we're going to be camped out in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And so if you're watching this online and want to feel free to hit pause and grab a Bible, you can do so. Uh, If you've spent any time in church before, you've heard this story. So if you were in Bibles, if you were in uh, Sunday school as a kid, or if you went to VBS as a kid, you heard this story: the miraculous, the beautiful, the powerful story of where Jesus walks on water. But before we get to the story at hand, I actually think this is a very, very classic. This is a classic example of where it's really important you understand the details in the lead up. Did you catch that how our scripture started for today was with these words? Right then. Another translation says, there for, which uh, my grandfather, who was a preacher, uh, he's the first person that taught me this, that whenever you see therefore, you got to see what it's bare for. And that's actually what he sounded like. And so, um, whenever you see moments like this, you have these little uh, very key words to kick off a Bible passage. If you're studying scripture on your own, this is a clue. You need to back up. You need to back up and see what immediately preceded this story in question, because it seems like whatever happened is going to bear some meaning and some weight on the story we're trying to study. So let's do that. When you back up uh, and you actually sort of, what, what is the context? What's actually happening leading up to this moment out on the lake? You find this is the moment where Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is the moment where they're gathered in this wilderness place. And Jesus is teaching. He's been preaching all day. They kind of lose track of time. It gets late. They need to feed these folks. And Jesus performs one of his many miracles in the book of Matthew and he feeds 5,000 men, which include the women and the children. This could have been as many as 10,000 folks on that hillside that day. And so it's this moment where the disciples, too, these followers of Jesus, too, are really starting to come to terms with the fact that this guy's different. He's different. He has powers, abilities, he has things that are sort of at his fingertips that we have never, ever seen before. It was a pivotal before and after sort of moment. So now, hold all that and go to our story that we're talking about today. So again, in a very similar fashion, Jesus does yet another mind-blowing thing. They're sort of out in the middle of this lake. There's a storm sort of coming in. They're freaking out a little bit. They look out, and what do they see? The same guy that just fed 5,000 folks is now walking on the daggone water. And so their, their minds are blown, and Peter in particular, his mind is blown. He's feeling it. He's vibing. And so he sees what's happening out there, and he goes, I want in on this. I want in on this. Here we go. Let's do this thing. And so in a moment of great faith, what does Peter do? He says, uh, Lord, call me out onto the water. Call me out so that I can walk out to you. He's, sure, go ahead. And he does. He steps out and he's moving and he's like, oh dear Lord, this is the best day of my whole life. No one's ever gonna believe this. This is incredible. And then what happens? He turns and he realizes what on God's green earth have I done? <laughs> there are waves taller than me. There is a storm that could kill me All around me, what is going on? What have I done? He sees the wind. He sees the waves. And that moment of great faith is replaced with a moment of great doubt. And he begins to sink. Now, I've heard countless sermons on this very story. And I have also heard countless sermons on this story whereby the preacher then proceeds to bash on Peter and beat up on Peter for his fear, for being afraid, as if being in the middle of a lake in the middle of a storm is not objectively terrifying. Last fall, we went on a family cruise, and one of the ports that we pulled into, we went to a Titanic exhibit. Not sure about why we did those two things together, but... (laughs) By the end of the entire thing, they're teaching us all these wonderful factoids. It sort of dawns on the guide, and she goes, you know, I heard there's actually going to be a storm that rolls out there on the sea later today, and you guys are getting on a ship. Are you scared? (laughs) I am now! uh, I think we can just all agree the ocean, being out in the middle of open water, is objectively terrifying. And so... I don't think it's fair. In fact, I think it's a really cheap, a really lazy, quite honest uh, interpretation of this story to say that uh, Peter was in the wrong for being afraid. Being afraid is human. And I would argue being afraid is also valid sometimes. And so I don't think it's his fear that got him into trouble This is where the context of knowing what happened right after, right before, rather, is so very important. No, what got Peter in trouble out on the lake that day was not that he was afraid, it's that he did what? He forgot. He forgot. He forgot what literally just transpired on the shoreline. He forgot that moments ago, he just watched Jesus performed the unthinkable and feed thousands of people. He forgot what he just witnessed seconds ago, that this same Jesus was walking on the water. He forgot who this God was. He forgot what this God was capable of. In a phrase, what got Peter into trouble, the type of doubt that he battled that day, is something we might call spiritual amnesia, spiritual forgetfulness. Now, again, I have zero interest in beating up and bashing Peter uh, because, quite frankly, I think we here today in 2024 are also a quite forgetful bunch, aren't we? In fact, I would argue I think it's getting worse. I think when you compare our sort of collective forgetfulness today with what they must have battled in the first century, it's getting increasingly worse. Worse, why? Well, for two reasons. Number one, we don't actually practice our memory muscles anymore. Did you notice this? I, for one, I realized this the other day that I never have to memorize a phone number, ever. I used to, like, in middle school, I would be memorizing phone numbers left and right. I would be, if I had a chance with a relationship with a girl, it was all based upon whether or not could I remember the phone number long enough to go and then write it down somewhere trustworthy and hide it so that my brother never saw it. Like, this was, this is the crux of how I sort of operated. Now... I, don't, I can barely remember my wife's phone number. I swear, the other day they, call, they sort of were at the auto parts store and they go, "What's your wife's phone number?" And I start giving them a phone number. And they go, "Oh, sir, that, that's your phone number." And I was like, "No, I think it's somewhere in there. I don't know. You can look it up." We don't use these muscles nearly as much anymore. And furthermore, on top of that, human beings are processing more information now than ever in human history. A recent study found that the average human being every single day is sort of sorting through and processing between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. And if you're trying to sort of get your bearings to get some reference point as to, like, is that better or worse than, like, how it's been, that is five times, five times the amount of information that we as human beings would process in the early 1990s. And so what that means is, is because you've got so much coming in through social media, through uh, news, through TV, through uh, conversations with people, that right now human beings are struggling because human beings only have the capacity to remember 50% of the new memory that they're encountering after one hour. And guess what? It gets even worse. 24 hours from this particular sermon, for example, you will only remember 70%. uh, Actually, you'll only remember 30%. You will forget 70% of the wonderful, beautiful, mind-blowing factoids that I'm giving to you and serving up for you this morning. You will forget 70% of what you had for breakfast or what you did with your children. 70% will just sort of go away because there's so much coming in our limited ability as human beings Is on full display when we try to figure out how much of it we're actually grasping. And then we have the audacity to walk around and just, gosh, why am I so forgetful? Why can't I remember? It's no surprise. And so let's sort of bring all that to the conversation at hand. Why all of those realities matter in church, why they matter in your faith life, it's because given that this is the current state of what it is like to be a human right now, what that means is that more often than not, you're going to be like Peter. And when something scary happens to you, when something confusing happens to you, when you don't necessarily know if God's around or if God is there or if God even cares, you and I are right now destined to forget. Right now the conditions are such that you are set up to forget. And if you can't remember God, then doubt is inevitable if you can't remember the times where God showed up for you as a kid or God showed up and taught you things uh, a couple of years ago uh, during that Bible study, if you can't remember these moments, you can't bring to mind all these moments where God showed up for you, God showed you stuff, God spoke to you. If you can't bring them to mind, doubt is inevitable. Doubt is the conclusion that you just sort of automatically reach. Well, uh, I'm going through some, I, I feel like I'm financially, we're in a really precarious situation or my job is in jeopardy right now or my relationships are on the rocks. Well, God must not be here, and God must not care, and God must not even exist. God must not even be even around. I can't even remember the last time, God, you actually cared about me or showed up for me. This now becomes the inevitable impulse, our go-to impulse, whenever we suffer or struggle. And so the question, I think, to ask especially for those of us who maybe you came into this Lenten season, maybe doubt is very real for you right now. Maybe you're in a season where you've got way more questions than you have answers. You're doing way more questioning than you're sort of demonstrating devotion or love and affection. And my question for you is, is there, are the things in your mind telling you that God's not there, God's not around, God doesn't care, God's not showing up, are those voices true Or rather, are they symptomatic of the fact that you and I just don't have the ability to recall those instances anymore like we used to? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if just on demand, we could retrieve those memories. We could retrieve all those instances that we've long since forgotten about. Those times when, man, my faith was strong during that part of my life. And I remember at this age, I felt so connected to God and so connected to Jesus. Man, wouldn't it, just, wouldn't it be great if I could remember and I could call to mind those moments where God showed up for me? You can. The good news, you came here for good news, right? You come to church for good news, right? The good news is that you and I can. In fact, I read this study earlier this week by the Harvard Medical Journal that said that there's actually things that you and I can do to retrieve really important memories from our past and bring them back to our present mind. Which, by the way, If you are new here to our church, uh, this is how we talk about faith and science. Here at this church, this is the way in which we talk about these two subjects. They are not uh, opposition. They're not in conflict with one another. They're not on opposing teams with one another. Rather, we believe that faith and science on their best day, faith and medicine uh, on their best day, they dance together. They mutually enhance our ability to understand and to know together. I like to say this. I like to say that science tells you the how, And why the faith community matters is because we come along and tell you about the who and the why, right? And so, uh, a brief aside. Now I come back. And so uh, Harvard Medical uh, Journal came out with this uh, study. And so what I want to do is uh, I'm not going to go through all the recommendations. You can Google it. You can find it on your own. All the different practices that they recommend to you. If you're sitting there like, yeah, I I've, I'm spiritually forgetful. I'm just like also normally forgetful. And so I might need some of these. And so you can go read it on your own time. Uh, but what I did was I pulled the top three. The top three that I believe also have a strong spiritual equivalent. Have a strong spiritual equivalent that we see in Scripture. We see practices in scripture sort of embodying that same practice the first one is this the first thing the harvard medical journal said is that if you want to retrieve memories from your past the first thing you need to engage the first sense you need to engage is your sense of sight and so they recommend that if you're trying to retrieve old memories that you've long since forgotten about if you're trying to bring to mind uh, things that have just sort of evaporated from your immediate memory Look at old photographs, look at old pictures of you at a particular season of life or a particular place that you used to live. Visit that childhood home if you have the ability or the capacity to to do so. Go and see the sights you used to see. Put your eyes on the things uh, that you used to sort of see every single day when you used to live there. And something will happen biologically in your mind whereby you'll begin to think of things you haven't thought about in years. How many of you have had this experience before? You've gone home from a vacation or you went back to a child at home and you thought of things you haven't thought about in 20, 30 years. Yes, so same principle applies in spirituality in terms of scripture. So when you go back and read the scriptures, you'll find that although they didn't have access to the Harvard Medical Journal back in the Old Testament, they were sort of living into this same wisdom. Particularly in the Old Testament, you'll find that in the Old Testament, one of the things that the people of Israel would do. Every time God showed up in a really big, powerful way, so God delivered them from slavery in Egypt, or God led them across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, the very first thing they would do is they would build these little sort of makeshift statue of rocks, and they would use these rocks called Ebenezer stones. And so Ebenezer uh, means stone of my help, so my helper. It's meant to signify the one who helped me, who came to my aid when I desperately needed him the most, And they did this on purpose so that when they left and then when they came back and they saw the statue again, it would flood their memory of God's faithfulness. It would flood their memory of how God showed up for them when they didn't see or think there was even a possibility of God rescuing them. And so the question for you is, what might you, in seasons of doubt, in seasons where you've really questioned and struggled to believe God's care, God cares about you, God's there for you, what might you need to see? What location might you need to visit to be reminded of God's incredible power and care and love for you? I got to thinking about my own life, and I immediately thought of two different places, the first of which is the Prayer Chapel on Indiana Wesleyan University's campus. This is where I went to college. I went to college in Marion, Indiana, which is brutally cold at the current moment. And so this was a couple of years ago. I took a picture when I was there for an alumni event. And this place will always be what uh, some authors call a thin space every time I'm in it. I'm reminded of the times where I went to God in my desperation. I went to God in my agony. I went to God in my doubt and cried out. And I felt God draw near to me. So every time I'm back there, I'm reminded of those times where God showed up for me. I can't always go to Indiana. And so God provided me yet another place. Uh, this is actually a tree at, at Sug Farm. Sug Farm is about a mile, mile and a half from where we currently live. And so I go uh, for runs around there all the time. And especially during the pandemic, uh, I found that there are moments where I was so scared, and I was so unsure of the future, and I didn't know what was gonna happen to this church, or to me, or to the world. And I stumbled out to this church one day, and I felt the incredible presence of God. I felt a peace that I hadn't felt in a really, really long time. And so now, when I go through seasons of doubt, when I go through seasons of questioning and struggle, I try to find these places, these places that have been carved out, it feels like just for me, to be reminded of God's goodness. The second uh, sense that we need to engage if we want to be reminded of these things is not just the sense of sight. It's a sense of smell. Or hearing. Sorry, I want to come to smell. Dang, I ruined my third one. Okay, pretend you didn't hear that, pretend you didn't hear that, pretend you didn't hear that. When I say smell in a moment, just go, oh, my gosh, profound. Okay, so <laughs> the second one, the Harvard Medical Journal uh, puts forth, it said uh, you've got to engage your sense of hearing you got to engage your sense of hearing old songs, old albums. Uh, maybe there's a particular album or a particular uh, collection of songs or cl- a particular artist that uh, you you heard, you got turned on to, at like a really pivotal time in your life, a very influential and formational time in your life. Or maybe it's a voice recording. It's a voice recording. Go back one more time. Uh, it's a voice recording. Maybe for you uh, it is listening to uh, an old pastor who was really formational for you. Or maybe it was listening to an old mentor. Maybe you have home video. Of this person speaking, and upon hearing their voice, there's just memories and moments with them uh, that you have long since forgotten. They actually tell folks uh, who are going through grief. Grief grief counselors will say that if you lost a spouse and you're missing that person, that if you have the ability, if you can listen to their voice, it actually doesn't make it worse, it makes uh, your grief better. It actually heals parts of your grief to hear their voice and be reminded of the memories that you shared with this person. And so, over the course of Scripture, we see the same practice on display. Again, they don't talk about it in the same way. They don't have the same sort of medical journal at their disposal. But I'm thinking of Psalm 42. Psalm 42, uh, David says this. He's going through his own season of doubt. This is the particular passage of Scripture. Some of you remember this one where he says, uh, God, my grief is so strong. My tears have been my food day and night. So if you've heard that passage of Scripture before. And so he's going through this really intense period of, gra- of doubt and grief. But then it shifts. There's a particular part of Psalm 42 whereby David says, But I remember. I remember. I remember when I used to lead your people, O God, into the temple, into worship. And we would sing. We would sing songs of joy and of thanksgiving. And then the whole mood of the psalm changes. David starts saying to himself, Why? I remember. I remember, why, am I so de- why is my soul so downcast? Why is my spirit so depressed and discouraged within me? God, I remember you showing up for me, and I know you'll do so again. There's something about hearing that will activate things that you have long since forgotten, moments and instances you've long since forgotten that you need to recall. And so what are those for you? What songs, what hymns uh, can you sort of, you can look back on your journey, you can look back on your life and you can say, man, that, that playlist or that artist or that song or that hymn, when I hear it immediately, I'm like, I'm sort of transported to this place where I remember God's goodness and God's closeness and nearness to me. And so maybe for some of you it is a worship song it's a worship album i've shared this before if you don't know my own uh, faith story that i came to faith through uh, um, a band you've probably most likely never heard of called fike and dana this particular album that they first put out called in and out of season is instrumental for me it was uh, pivotal for my coming to faith sort of experience when i was 16 years old and so sometimes what i do is when i'm going through doubt when i'm going through struggle when i'm questioning god do you even care are you even aware of what i'm going through i'll turn on this album it's not magic, but I'll remember God's nearness and faithfulness to me. Maybe for you, it's not a spiritual album. Maybe it's not a Christian album. And for you, the good news is, is that God can also use those too. God, on more than one occasion, has used uh, the very faithful, uh, the, the saints, uh, and the theologians from my other favorite band, Melanie Stoffer. Who is it? Melanie loves them, too. It's the band Coldplay. It's the band Coldplay, Okay, Uh, This is one of my favorite albums uh, from uh, this band. And you laugh, you laugh, you laugh. But some of you know uh, that it doesn't have to be Christian uh, on the label uh, to be used by God. It doesn't have to be Christian on the genre in order to be used by God. There have been several moments throughout the course of my life, and you can laugh at this if you want. That's fine. But there have been several moments in my life where I've been really unsure of the future. I've been really scared, or I've felt really inadequate. In these random places, in coffee shops, well, that's not so random for Coldplay, Um, but uh, in other places (laughs) that are more random than that, this music will come on out of the blue, and I feel in a deep sense of my soul, God saying, I got you. I'm here with you. I see you. I know you. I don't care what it is for you, but I'm willing to bet that all of us have some sort of Medium that when we hear the words, when we hear the sounds, it reminds us of things we have long since forgotten, things we need desperately to remember. And the third one is this: here is your time to shine. Okay, you can act surprised. Okay, the third one that you are not going to foresee uh, is actually the Harvard Medical Journal came out and they said that if you uh, want to invoke, you want to call to memory uh, some of the things that God has done in your past, uh, you need to invoke the rest of the senses. So you need to touch it taste it, or smell it. Really? I know, right? It's just, yeah, wow, very cool. And so they go on. They say, they like if you if there's particular memories you're trying to retrieve, maybe do an old family ritual. We just came out of the holidays a couple of months ago. Maybe this, uh, you, you know this, that over Christmas when you do the same ritual, you play this board game, you do this particular sort of thing in this particular time on Christmas Eve or on Thanksgiving, or it doesn't have to be on those particular times. There's memories that flood your mind. Memories that you've, again, you just sort of discarded somewhere along the way. Or maybe for you, again, it's the cooking of a meal, that there's something about cooking the meal that your mom used to make or your grandma used to make or your dad used to make that when you eat that food, it just sort of turns on things and it sort of puts online uh, these things and these memories from your past that you've long since forgotten. And I love this. I love this because now it makes total sense why at the Last Supper, the last thing Jesus says when he sets the table is what? Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus knows us. He knows human nature. He knows how forgetful we are. And so he instituted something thousands of years ago, that would serve as a tangible reminder of his incredible sacrifice and incredible love and incredible faithfulness to us. Do this as every every time you eat it. Do this as every time you drink it in remembrance of me. And so this Lent season, what do you need to touch, taste, or smell to sort of trigger memories instances in your past of God's closeness and nearness to you I'll tell you about the other way we do this uh, so, so it's not only just communion uh, another thing uh, where we try to live into this uh, another moment rather uh, is uh, a baptism we do baptisms uh, periodically throughout the course of the year we hold baptism Sundays we've got another one coming up in April if that's interesting to you you can sign up for that on online but uh, one of the things that I always try to teach people about how we do baptisms are some things that happen behind the scenes that you may not be aware of. So every time there's a baptism here at this church, there's a couple of things we do to the water. This is a picture, actually, of me baptizing my buddy Gray uh, last year. The first thing we do uh, is we put a couple of drops of uh, the, from the Jordan River uh, into the baptismal font so that symbolically the same waters that rushed over the head of Jesus are the same ones that rush over yours and mine. The second thing we do is we put a couple of drops of lavender in the baptismal font. And those of you who are very familiar with essential oils, you know uh, that the reason why we do this is because why? Lavender is known for having a what effect on the body? Calming. Yes. So when you're baptizing a screaming toddler, you will take every single ounce of help you can get, right? (laughs) Joking, kind of. Um, But the reason why we do this is actually very, very intentional. The reason why we do this is because when we baptize babies, we want this to not just be an experience that involves water rushing over their heads, but we want to engage every facet of their being. And we want to engage the olfactory system inside of them, giving them the sense of smell in this experience. Why? Because we don't know, and we have no way of tracking this. But wouldn't it be really cool if that was one of the very first times that that child ever smelled lavender? And it was stored in their memory, deep, deep, deep down somewhere, so that the next time out in the world, out in their life, out in the struggle, out in the pain, the next time that they smelled that smell, they were transported back to that moment. That moment when God said to them, there ain't nothing that can separate you from my love. That moment when the community of God said, you will never have to do this alone. What do you need to touch? smell or taste this Lent season to be reminded of where God has shown up for you. I'll close here. I hope uh, what you got out of today is how unbelievably important memory is to the spiritual life. In fact, uh, if you back and read scripture, you'll begin to see how often this word remember shows up. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, remember is a command. Remember what your Lord God has done for you. It's almost as if in that moment uh, what the author is doing is instituting remembrance as a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline you should be doing just as often as you pray, just as often as you worship, just as often as you read scripture and do devotions. Remembrance is an active, not a passive, an active part of our spiritual lives, or at least it should be. Because if it's not, what tends to happen is what we see in Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, the author writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, the biggest thing that you're doing that breaks God's heart is you forgot. Revelation chapter 2, you forgot your first love, the author says. And so over the course of these next couple of weeks as we prepare for Easter, I would really challenge you. I encourage you, I challenge you to find opportunities, to find practices. Maybe you've got different ones than the ones that we shared today. Find practices that will remind you of where and how and when God showed up for you so that you can stand firm on the belief that God will do so again. Memory is not only how we combat the unhealthy forms of doubt in our lives, which, by the way, there are healthy forms of doubt, and we'll come to that uh, somewhere later in the series. But memory is also the means by which we fulfill John Wesley's third simple John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist denomination back in the 1700s, someone asked him one time, they said, what is like the Christian life? What's the Christian walk boiled down in the most simplistic terms? He goes, you want to know what it is? You want to know what being a follower of Jesus is and what it looks like? Here's what it is. It means being someone who does good, who does no harm, and does everything in their power to stay in love with God. And so this day I pray that somewhere in this journey towards Easter, you'll make space You won't just wait for the space. You will make space to reflect upon, to meditate upon how much this God loves you and the love that we claim to have for him as well. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever a podcast can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.